You're listening to the Artistic Finance Podcast, Show 56. On today's show, I interview Anthony Zhang, co-founder and CEO of the wine investing platform, VinoVest. We talk about how to invest in wine, considerations when including it as part of your portfolio, and what amount of startup capital is needed to begin. At the end of the episode, I explain why I included a wine investment in the Artistic Finance 6K. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, everyone, and a special welcome to my patrons. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today we welcome Anthony Zhang to the podcast. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks a lot for having me on, Ethan. We are recording this on May 4th, 2021, so we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, a Black Lives Matter slow burn across the world, and a Stop Asian Hate campaign in the USA. Anthony, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called VinoVest. And what we do is we aim to make investing in fine wines simple. Fine wines has been an asset class that has been around for a long time, has been pretty profitable. It's actually beaten out the S&P 500, but it's traditionally only been available to super wealthy people. And we want to change that to make it available for everybody. I love it. I love it. We're going to talk a lot about that. Okay, before we do that, could you describe your demographics for us? I am 26 years old. I am Asian American. And I spent most of my life abroad, actually. So I spent most of my life in Asia, Hong Kong and Beijing uh, in, in Europe a little bit too. And then came back here to the States for high school. Graduated high school, but did not graduate college. I actually dropped out to start my first business and uh, have been dropping out ever since. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience or a piece of art that you like? Favorite live event, I, I gotta say, like at one of my favorite restaurants. So uh, to me, food is art. Uh, the way that they bring food out and experience it and pair it with the drinks or wine, I think that whole experience um, of dining at you know, one of your favorite restaurants is, is one of my favorites right there. I love that. That is awesome. And your financial personality, are you good or bad with money? Ooh, I think I can always be better. <laughs> I am uh, more on the good side than the bad side, I hope. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so now we're going to talk all about wine investing. And we'll, of course, talk about VinoVest because that's what you know. And then just a disclosure here at the beginning, which everybody who listens to this podcast knows probably, but we at Artistic Finance have $1,000 invested with VinoVest. We, we own a case of wine <laughs> through VinoVest. But Anthony, so what is wine investing in general? So wine investing is investing in actual bottles and cases of wine, usually when they're younger in their lifetime, and then just waiting for them to appreciate and get better in the bottle. So that uh, old adage, you know, age is like fine wine is true. Wine does, um, for the most part, get better and more expensive as it ages. And if you think about it from just a purely supply and demand standpoint, every single bottle of wine that's being consumed will never be able to be like remade again from that particular year. So supply is going down and down whenever there's global consumption happening. 
Okay. What are the pros? I have a list here that I made of pros of investing in wine. So I'm just going to hit you with each of each of them and see what you have to say about it. So the first one, of course, I think is the one everybody cares about, which is that potentially it has uh, higher returns than stocks. Historically, the S&P 500 gives somewhere between 7 and 10% return. What does wine give usually? Yeah, so wine is usually closer to that 10 and 12%. So uh, if you look at a 10-year chart, 20-year chart, 30-year chart, it's close to that double-digit mark. That I also looked up gold. So gold, depending how you measure it, is also at near the 10% mark. And I would say it's more similar to wine in that it doesn't pay dividends. And then I also looked at real estate, which gives 8 to 10%. But real estate has a lot more overhead, a lot more challenges than buying a case of wine. Absolutely. Comparing to gold, very similar, right? You got to store it somewhere, but after you store it, as long as you're keeping it in the right conditions, um, you're, you're pretty much set. I think where wine and gold differ from a financial standpoint is the volatility. So if you look at the volatility of gold, it's, you know, it's really not something that's like a stable investment. It goes, swings wildly up and down. Whereas wine, it's very, very hard to have a down year in wine because people can always drink it. Yeah, that's a good point that gold, <laughs> gold and silver vary wildly in their price range. So I would say they're both a hedge. You, if, if you're mostly in the S&P 500 or you're mostly in companies, they're unrelated to wine and gold. Like those two things are not going to be giving the same return. Yeah. Looking at the correlation levels between gold and stocks or wine and stocks, that's a pretty important consideration when you're building up that kind of diversification piece of your portfolio. And same with real estate. For the most part, you know, real estate and, and the stock market are not very correlated. So how volatile is it? And then what, what are the things that would make it go up or go down in price? In terms of its volatility, if you look at a 25-year price chart, it's only had six down years. And if you compare that to the S&P, you know, 25 years, it's probably had like close to 10 down years. So um, if you look at the drawdown years, that's one of the best ways to look at its volatility and how much it goes down. Um, secondly, for example, during the last recession of 08-09, when the S&P went down close to 50%, the fine wine market only went down 9%. So only single digit loss during one of the greatest recessions um, in recent memory. And same thing happened during the dot-com, you know, only 11% drawdown. So um, those, I think, you know, showing how it's done during uh, recessions and down cycles, I think is one of the most important things. I also think that investing in wine is sort of sexy. Now, I, I don't know if everybody feels this way, <laughs> but, uh, but I think of like an old white dude, like sitting in like a big leather chair and he's like, oh yes, my wine collection. <laughs> They're like, my butler can show you to my wine collection and you have to go down a few flights of stairs and it's like, boom, a whole other house. That's definitely not a financial return, but I just feel like it, it's cool to say, oh yeah, I own a case of wine. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a flex, I'd say. And we want to make it so that more than just old wealthy white dudes can <laughs> um, I want to talk about how it's a commodity, but it's also sort of a collectible. So like a return on investment on wine. So say I buy a case. What, what are the factors that are going to determine how much I can sell that case for in 10 years? And I have a list of them here if you want me to give them to you. Yeah, I want. Okay, so scarcity is the first thing I wrote down. You know, supply and demand, right? If, uh, if you look at kind of a lot of these sort of... Um, uh, hotly contested items on the secondary market, 
whether it be a Gucci bag or like a Supreme, uh, you know, sweater, scarcity is among the first things, right? There's less produced than more people can want or drink. Um, and that's one of the biggest factors on what wine prices go up. I, I also read that China and the BRIC nations are buying more wine. Yeah, so wine is, you know, still considered a luxury item to most. Um, and as a lot of these BRIC nations, uh, their middle class and upper class are getting larger and larger, they want to buy and consume nice things. And wine really hasn't been a part of those cultures until, I'd say, last, say, you know, 10, 15 years. And, you know, you're just seeing an upward trend where China is going to be one of the largest nations in terms of uh, fine wine consumption probably with the last in the next five to 10 years, and that'll surpass the United States. Um, do they produce their own wine? They do, but um, I'd say not many investable wines. When you're looking at investable wines, you're really thinking of those traditional uh, wine growing regions like Bordeaux in France or Champagne or Napa Valley in here in the States. That's not to say that in the future there won't be investable wines from China, but you know, it really takes a long time to build up a reputation. I recently read an article on water scarcity. Right now, there's a billion people in the world that lack drinking water or clean drinking water, and that's supposed to be 2 billion by 2025. I mean, grapes are made of water. So is that going to impact wine at all? I think it will. And also related to that, climate change, right? World's wine growing regions are unfortunately getting warmer and warmer. Harvests are happening earlier. The yields are also lower. And when there's lower yields, you know, you, you can only squeeze so much juice out of a grape, right? And they're having lower and lower starting supplies. And then global consumption is still going up and up. So there's a lot of macro factors also influencing what we think is going to be a very steady increase in just price in the wine market in general. And then I would say the biggest thing that I would worry about investing in wine is timing. And I wrote three different timings down. So the first one is timing when to sell. When would I know to sell when the wine is like at its peak drinkability? That's a great question. So the good thing is that even though all wine does have a shelf life, it's not like milk where it's like, oh, if you're a day late, <laughs> a very, very slow curve over multiple years. And when we give selling windows, it's like, oh, 2030 to 2035. Um, and from a pricing standpoint and from a drinkability standpoint, that wine is not gonna change too much whether you sell it now or six months from now. So rest assured, it's a, it's a little bit more of a sort of like casual sort of window that we give. And when wine critics give those peak drinking windows, it's also during a multi-year range. Okay, so if, so if say I got a case of wine and I was supposed to sell it in 10 or 15 years, and I'm holding it in year 17, so I missed its best time, it's still good to drink and I can probably still sell it? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right, the other timing thing I worry about is when do people want it? Do people only want it in that 10 to 15 year range or does that really not impact it at all? So people want to drink wine no matter what age it is. Um, but I think just as less and less of it is still remaining in the world. So for example, you know, we're talking the year 2021, say in the future, it's like 2040, right? Someone wants to drink a bottle from the year 2021. You know, every bottle of wine is essentially a piece of history. You want to think about, oh, what was going on in the world during this time? And probably they're just like very, very little of it left. So that scarcity factor, again, kind of plays into it where uh, it's, a, it's collectible. It's almost like a trophy item where you're like, hey, this is something super rare that 
I can then share with a friend. Okay, so then if I come to VinoVest and I put $1,000 in, what is the time frame for when it would be good to pull that money out or I guess sell the wine that I get? So we usually recommend a decently long-term perspective. So at least five years for you to be able to get the returns that um, you're seeing in the market. Um, and that's why we usually help you be able to buy younger wines, you know, ones that were produced usually within the last five or seven years, knowing that they have another five, 10, 15 years to go. Okay. Because <laughs> for, for this podcast, the $1,000, the way we're structuring it is we're, we're putting $1,000 in for a year. And then at a year and a day, we're going to look and see, do we keep it? Do we? So that's definitely shorter than your recommended time period. <laughs> Not to say that you won't see returns in a year. Um, but I would say just like I think a lot of real estate, that scarcity really starts to take effect and it's more so on a back-weighted basis. Okay, the last thing I had on my list for things that I would think would in, uh, affect the price of wine, rankings by reviewers. How, how much does that impact, you know, like the sommeliers saying what's a good wine? Do they, do they have clout? Um, I would say the Psalms definitely have clout, but more so it's the wine critics. Um, so think of them as like, you know, your, your rating agencies, right? When people rate a bond AAA versus AA plus and things like that. Um, there are, I'd say like three to five critics right now that, you know, people listen to. Um, and it depends on what region that they have the most clout into. So someone may be known as like an Italian expert. And if this person is giving ratings on French wines, it might not have that big of an impact on the price, but for Italian wines, you know, his word is gospel. So I would say it definitely matters, but not as much as people would think. Okay. So VinoVest, the wines you suggest for clients, it's like, do you care about people's rankings or do you care about other factors more? It's certainly a factor in our algorithm. And we, we take in all different critic scores. We're able to normalize them based on which region they have the most clout in, um, and then be able to then decide accordingly. But other things like supply, um, like secondary market appreciation, as, and then also drinking window are also pretty big um, factors for us. Okay. In my research on how to invest in wine, I sort of narrowed it down to three different ways that you can invest if you want. The first easiest way would just be buy a beverage stock, like a really big winery, or I know Constellation Brands is just, or, or even a beer brand, like some sort of liquor brand. That would definitely be easier than buying your own cases. I agree. <laughs> I also think if VinoVest ever goes public, I don't know if that's in your plan, but somebody could purchase shares of VinoVest and sort of invest in wine without really investing in wine. Yeah, that would be similar to you know investing in Coinbase instead of buying Bitcoin. Okay, so then the other way to, to buy is just to literally go, uh, I'll use a terrible example, but like go to the grocery store and just buy 12 bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the other way. And I actually did because we had $1,000 to put into wine. So I did look into this and I talked to my friend who has a wine podcast. You can do that, but then you have to sell the wine. And usually you have to do that through an auction house and they're going to take a big percentage. And then the other thing he told me is that you have to store it properly. Yeah, storage is the biggest risk, right? Because the wine, if you leave it in the sun for too long, if it's too hot, if there's not enough humidity, if there's too much humidity, all of those things are factors that can ruin wine. And at the end of the day, an auction house is going to heavily discount the value of a wine stored in someone's home 
versus the value of a wine that's been professionally stored its entire lifetime. I even read that some auction houses might not even sell your wine if you stored it at home. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll really put you out of the running unless you have a massive, massive wine cellar. So the fridge won't cut it and the mini, the mini fridge won't cut it either. <laughs> All right, and then the third way to invest in wine is the way that we're doing it, which is through a third party and letting them handle it. And VinoVest is the one we went with. But there's also a company called Vinfolio, and there's another one called WineInvestment.com. They're a little different than VinoVest, and I didn't find them nearly as easy or transparent. And I also felt with them that I had to be more of an expert. They wanted to educate me on wine, which I appreciate, but I don't want to become a sommelier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are, uh, we're designed for people like you and me. I did not know anything about wine going into this business. And I wanted to create a product for people like me where, you know, you're a savvy investor, you're learning about different investment opportunities and different asset classes, and you're seeing this more of an investment than as like something that you want to, you know, start as a lifelong learning journey, which wine certainly is. Hi, everyone. Interrupting this episode to say, I mentioned my friend's wine podcast. That is Bottled Up, a wine podcast of sorts, hosted by Jen Waring and Sean Linehan. Jen is a stand-up comedian, and Sean is a theater electrician I've worked with. He is now taking classes on wine and sharing what he learns via the podcast. Now, even though this episode is on wine investing, I'm not actually a big wine drinker. But I started listening to Bottled Up to be supportive of Sean and found out I really liked learning about wine. Now, from listening, I've learned what old wine versus new wine is, how to properly store wine, which I was not doing before, aka don't store it near a window, and I've learned how to say Chianti, which I was not pronouncing correctly. If you want to learn about wine from two non-pretentious people, find Bottled Up on any podcast app and subscribe. And they also love it when you troll each new episode on Instagram, which is one of my favorite pastimes. Oh, and one more thing. Bottled Up recently became a patron of Artistic Finance, so thank you Jen and Sean for being Patreon patrons. So what is your homework? To check out Bottled Up, a wine podcast of sorts, you'll learn and you'll laugh, find it on any podcast app, and I'll also put a link for it in the show notes. Now, back to the show. And I want to point out that the easy way of investing in the paper asset, which is buying a beverage stock... That is appealing in the sense of those companies can pay dividends. If you buy your own bottle of wine, it's not going to pay you a dividend. You are losing out on compounding there. And then also, obviously, with the paper asset, it's super easy. It's super liquid, usually, to get in and out of. And then another advantage to the paper, you can use retirement funds. So if you have an IRA or something like that, you can purchase those assets. So... There are advantages. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I wanted to point this out, which is you can't use your retirement funds to invest with VinaVest. Is that correct? That is correct, because you are investing in actual bottles in case of wine. You're not investing in security that represents a wine fund or you know, a fraction of a bottle. The downside is you can't use an IRA, right? Um, the plus side is that it's an actual item that you own. So say if, uh, you, know, if you wanted to drink it, you could. Um, if you wanted to transfer it to another warehouse or manage it yourself, you could. Um, so those things, I think, are things that give investors a little more freedom and then also opens you up so that you don't need to be an accredited investor. Um, you don't need to uh, you know, 
have certain certifications, all you need to do is you know, have $1,000 and be able to log on to a website. And that's the other thing I love is that I just logged in and uh, you know the algorithm asked me some questions and it says like, how risky are you? What's your time horizon? I gave put the $1,000 in the account and then you guys just bought a case of wine. All the information is there. When I log in, it shows me the wine. I can find out everything I want to know about it, where it's stored. But I had no expertise whatsoever. <laughs> to me, that's what's the beauty of it is you've taken like an actual commodity. So I'm actually owning. It's like gold and silver. I can actually buy gold and silver and hold it and store it and touch it if I want. With VinoVest, I log in and it's as easy as a stock. As in, I just log in like I'm logging into any brokerage account. Um, but if for whatever reason I wanted to get my actual wine, I could. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a fun perk that uh, a lot of people think about. But um, you will be drinking your profits away, literally, if you do that. Have you actually had anybody that actually took ownership of their wine? We have. Uh, so I would say less than 1% of our customers have a request that because most of them are looking for a financial return. But, you know, a lot of people also love wine, right? And they're seeing, seeing this as an opportunity to invest, but also, you know, maybe if they make some profits after a few years, take those profits off the table in the form of a nice case of wine. Like if I were to just go buy wine, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily be able to buy any bottle I want. Even, even if I have the money, I might not be able to go to the winery and, and buy it. Like they just may say, oh, we only sell it through this third party. Like, how do you guys access wine? Because you, you can access many more options than I could if I were to do it on my own. Yeah. So unfortunately, especially when it comes to these really highly sought after wines, uh, connections matter, right? Uh, any, you're exactly right. Even if you had the money to afford the wine, a lot of times, you know, it's on a wait list or, you know, it's only being offered to certain people who have dealt with the winery for a certain amount of years. Uh, thankfully, we have some pretty amazing advisors that are really veterans in the industry that have helped open up um, introductions to these wineries when they're just getting started. You know, we kind of pitched them our idea and our vision of what wine investing could look like. And, um, you know, they thankfully are willing to work with us. Oh, and the other big thing with VinoVest that I think we've sort of mentioned it, but I, I just want to really point it out, which is that I log into the website, I put the money in the account, VinoVest does everything else. Eventually, five to 10 years when we sell, I will log in, say, please close out my account, and I will get the money back and go on my merry way. You guys are buying it, you're storing it, aka making sure it's taken care of for the auction house or however you sell it, and you just do everything. And that's really important because it makes it super easy. Absolutely. We want to make something that has traditionally really, really high barriers to entry in terms of expertise, in terms of access, in terms of ongoing operational expenses, and make it as easy as investing in a stock. And that's that's really our goal. And I will say you have succeeded. <laughs> it's a long way to go, though. Still where we want to be in terms of the user experience, but I appreciate it and appreciate people who have you know, joined us early on, like yourself. Oh, I didn't even realize I was early. I thought I was late to this game. <laughs> early in terms of the grand plan. Okay, okay. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the wine that we own through VinoVest. I have one case, which is 12 bottles, of the hardest wine to pronounce. It's not German, but it's still really hard. So I'm going to try to pronounce this wine. Let's hear it. Chateau La Lune, Trésem, Cru Classe, Eau Meadow, de Milneuf. 
There you go. Pretty good. That is pretty good. Do you recognize it at all? <laughs> yes. Another part of why wine is so intimidating for a lot of people is the pronunciations, right? Whether it's French or Italian or German, it's a mouthful, um, especially if you don't know French. Um, and how those things are even classified too are, are pretty interesting because, you know, first you said the name of the chateau, so the name of the winery. Then you said the actual classification. So Bordeaux, where your wine is from, has a classification system um, where it shows like, all right, this is like first class, second class, third class, fourth class, so kind of a rating system. And then the appellation or the sub-region of Bordeaux, where it's from. So Omedo is a you know, sub-region specifically within Bordeaux. So very, very much so mouthful, but if you kind of break it down piece <laughs> by piece, that's what, that's what each of the phrases mean. Okay, in layman's terms, it's a 2009 French red wine. Love it. <laughs> the case cost $883. When I log in, it shows me this is how much you bought the case for. Uh, there's also a, sort of a chart that shows how much it's appraised. So we have $883 of wine. We have, of the $1,000, we have another 100 or so that's in cash. Um, so the total account is 1000 now, technically, the wine has appraised $9 since we bought it. <laughs> oh, slow and steady. And, oh, and then another thing, which we'll get to, I think, later, but fees. Your fees are very reasonable, and we've been charged $1.26 as our fee. So, But it's very, like, when you log in, that's just what you see. You see how much you spent, how much it, it is right now, and all the fees. Um, so it's all very transparent, which I think is, like very important yes especially in something new that people you know people don't know much about and i think we need to be able to offer that transparency for people to be able to trust us trust the asset class and be able to you know even consider putting more obviously everyone can do their own research and go look it up but i will say that even though i know nothing about wine i now own 12 bottles and because i've done it through vino vest which i vetted in the sense of i've looked at them i've read about them Everything seems on board. They're very transparent with everything. But I know that this wine, I know that it's authentic. I know that it's in excellent condition. It's being stored. And I know that you guys are insuring it so that if for some reason there's an earthquake and all the pallets fall off, the wine is insured. Absolutely. We want to make sure that all the things that you would typically worry about for, for wine um, is all taken care of. Oh, and the last thing about our wine, which is, uh, it tells us that we're supposed to hold it for 15 to 20 years. That's the recommended time frame. We have recommended um, investment sort of timeline ranges for each of our wines. And we're able to give you an idea of like, hey, this is um, based on you know previous vintages, based on our research, based on um, other wines in this region that perform similarly. This is our kind of best estimate. Okay, so now I want to talk about the fees. Because so the actual reason <laughs> that we're, that I'm talking to you, Anthony, is because when I was doing this, I was trying to figure out what the actual fees are. So I called Ivan, one of your portfolio managers, and I said, tell me about these fees. And I like broke it down every little way I could <laughs> because I was like, there has to be more to it than this 2.85% fee. So I guess, can you just tell us what your fees are? Yeah. So the fees range from 25 to 2.5% depending on the amount of money you have with us. So it scales down. Um, it's an annual management fee that is charged on a monthly prorated basis. So you get charged 2.85% divided by 12 of your portfolio value at the beginning of each month. 
And is that portfolio, because ours was $1.26, is that on the wine value or is it include the cash in that? Is it the entire portfolio? Yeah, so it's charged on the entire portfolio, um, which does kind of raise the question of you know cash drag, um, but we do want to be able to utilize as much of your available cash as possible. Um, but wine uh, very, very infrequently costs exactly $1,000 or exactly. $1, of course, of course. Yeah. And again, it's all very transparent. It's very obvious. And I just want to say, going back to that paper asset of like, well, I could just buy a beverage stock. We put $1,000 in an S&P 500 ETF. The fee for that is 0.04%, but that's like the lowest fee that you will get from anywhere. But again, much more volatile than wine, <laughs> but it's not an unreasonable fee. That's what we hope so. We want to make sure that if we're comparing it to alternatives, which is either, you know, auction or other, um, you know, other players and choices that people have that we want to be, um, you know, really giving people the most value for our pricing. Uh, how do you guys sell the wine? Great question. So we will sell to other consumers in the space. So it could be um, a large wine distributor, it could be a wine retailer, a restaurant, um, could also be another wine asset manager or even individuals on our platform. So um, we don't really care who buys our wine as long as it's for the highest price. The fees, that's including sort of all insurance and all overhead. When, when you guys bought the case of wine for me, there was no fee associated with that because it was included in the fee. When you sell it, we have to pay taxes on selling that wine. Are those taxes included in the fee, in the overhead, or will I see that like come out of the bottom line? Yeah, great question. So taxes will be assessed separately, um, and it obviously depends on your income level and what other assets you own and how you want to be able to structure those, you know, those gains or losses. So what we'll do is we'll give you the sale, and then you or your accountant or whoever helps you with it can figure out um, what the best way to be able to structure them as though. Um, it is going to be taxed as a collectible. That percentage ranges depending on um, you know what state you're in as well as your income level. Okay, so you guys will give like a 1099, and then we incorporate that into our taxes. Exactly. So 1099s um, up to a certain amount, though. I think I think the current law is that if you sell more than twenty thousand dollars worth of it, you get issued a 1099. Anything below that is considered in the self-reporting range. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Self-reporting, that sounds suspicious. Okay, so then, and then I just want to clarify, which Ivan clarified for me, but there's no other fees associated with, with this. So it's just that 2.85% fee. Exactly. So we won't charge you anything else. We want to make sure that the pricing is like all in one, easy to understand, and you know, you're not going to get hit with anything else. Um, I would say the only other fees that you would need to pay is like if you actually want to get it shipped to your home, um, you would have to pay for those additional shipping fees. Um, but that's about it. Got it. Got it. Oh, and I, I actually want to say that our the wine we have, while yes, we could claim ownership and I guess have it shipped here to New York, but it is stored in the UK. So that would be, I would never do that. <laughs> that's, that's what a good investor does. Do not drink your wine. Okay, so I want to talk, we've talked about all like a lot of the pros about wine investing, but I have a list of cons here, which we have touched on a lot of them too. It was what you said earlier, which is it's a collectible. Um, and I'm just pointing that out because that's another thing as to why you can't use your retirement money for it. 
And then earlier, I also said it was sexy to own wine. <laughs> but I also think that, and I think this because I've talked to people like leading up to this episode, I've been talking about it a little bit more. Uh, some people perceive it as really risky, bad idea. And I think we've talked about why VinoVest makes it, makes it easy and makes it like not very risky. But I think that with talking to some people, you might get a little bit of pushback that's like, oh, no, you don't want to do that. I think it's risky if you don't do your research. That would be my major concern is like if people come into it without, I think, the proper sort of expectation of what you want out of an investment, out of an asset class, um, I think they're going to be disappointed, right? If, if I'm investing in crypto and expecting not to have a heart attack with, you know, 10% drop, <laughs> I'm going to hate crypto. You know, if I'm investing in wine and expecting to day trade it and flip it, you're going to be disappointed. So I think you really need to do your research on what you want to get out of the asset class in general or any asset class and then be able to find the right investment to be able to suit what you want in your portfolio. Okay, another another drawback I had to investing in wine is the liquidity of it. Vinovest says it will sell the wine in 2 to 4 weeks, um, which I think is a pretty reasonable time frame but there's always that possibility of you have this case of wine and you can't find a seller for it i think it is definitely a possibility we do want to be able to always optimize for wines that have had a historical track record of secondary market transactions so we're not going to buy you know a, a new bottle of wine from a new winery that no one's ever heard of just to kind of take a flyer on it because what if there's no buyers right so i think that is definitely something that is a risk and something that we do aim to mitigate just by looking at historical records. If there's somebody who's a big investor in wine and they own like $3 million of maybe a wine and then suddenly they run into problems and they liquidate it all, are there cases like that where suddenly a certain wine, there's a ton of it, so it's not as scarce and therefore the price drops? So I think the scarcity doesn't matter who owns it because the supply is set on day one. So we'll know, you know, say 10,000 cases, winery has half of it, and then the rest of it's in the market. doesn't really matter if like one person has it or 10 people have it. We're really basing things off of consumption trends. Are you guys mostly selling to other investors? Is it, is it like nobody drinking these wines and it's just going from investor to investor? Or do you actually sell it sort of off to restaurants? So it depends on the age of the wines. So if things are, I'd say like on the younger side, there would probably be another investor who wants it, right? Because they want to hold on to it before selling it on uh, ultimately to the, the consumer. If it is a wine that is older, more oftentimes it is a consumption. You know, so a retailer or another, another wine player will do that. Okay, so now I'm going to go to, to you saying how you're trying to make it so it's not a rich person's game. And I, and I can attest to this that we put in $1,000 and we now own wine. You know, if you have a thousand dollars, you can get into this game. I produce or I connect investors to theatrical productions. They usually the minimum there is twenty five thousand dollars. So with putting in a thousand dollars into wine, like is a thousand dollars going to be worth it? Yeah. So I think definitely with a larger budget, you just have more options, right? That's true in really almost every asset class. So for example, if there's a bottle of wine that's you know five thousand dollars a bottle. A thousand dollar investment, unfortunately, won't cut it. I think there definitely are some very real considerations there where if you considered, hey, like I want to put in twenty five hundred or five thousand, that will technically give you more options in the market to be able to acquire. 
Um, uh, Anthony, by the way, is wine a part of your portfolio? Absolutely, it is. Do you do it through VinoVest or do you do it other way? <laughs> yeah, I do it through VinoVest. Uh, the algorithm is much smarter than I am. I'm not going to be spending you know hours researching and probably making the wrong decision when I could just have the algorithm do it. And I think that's really true for, for most asset classes, right? There's a lot of research done for people who pick stocks versus invest in an index and usually the index always wins. And, you know, we try to be able to get people a, a you know, a balanced portfolio and, um, you know, wines that will last a long time. All right. So if someone's listening to this and they decide that they want to invest in wine, after they listen to this podcast, what would be a good first step for them to do? So first step, do your research. I would say there are a lot of a lot of articles out there, third-party articles um, that are talking about the returns of wine, you know, things to look out for risks, and then decide what you want. Um, obviously biased, but uh, being about <laughs> resources for you too to be able to learn more. And if you feel comfortable, test out with something small, right? Our minimum is a thousand dollars. Um, and see how the experience is for you before deciding if you want to put in more money or not. And Anthony, I, I want to say thank you to you for creating VinoVest. You've taken a commodity like gold or silver, and you allow people to actually own it, but you make investing in it as easy as buying a stock. You said there's still more work to do on the site, but I found it super easy to just log in, connect things, and invest in wine without a crazy amount of work on my end. That's uh, that's the goal. So I'm glad it's uh, I'm glad it's easy. Yeah. Oh, and the fees are very transparent because I feel like when you're doing stocks, you have to sort of like look into the company and look at the fees and look at management. If you actually want to know, like, how much money are they going to siphon off? And with with the fees that you guys have, it's just every time you log in, it's like there's the fee. It's just very clear. So I really like it. It's great feedback and you know, definitely makes makes it feel like, you know, the work that we're doing when we're designing the, the platform is is worth it because our intention is coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Is there anything else about wine investing that we haven't mentioned that you want to say? Um, no, I would say it's probably new to most people. I did not know that you could even invest in wine, much less where to invest in wine a few years ago. So I'd say just be open-minded and see if it's for you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I have a few more questions that are not necessarily about wine, but more just about you before we wrap up here. What is some financial advice that you would give yourself back when you started your career? Wow, I would say don't overtrade. I've I've definitely am, been in the phase where, you know, I'm on Robinhood or I'm on a, on a crypto exchange and just like eyes glued to the screen as little candles move up and down. And that was just very stressful and did not make a bunch of money doing that. And I realized the best strategy, which my you know my now fiance had years ago, she just sat on it, and she has better returns than I do. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, is there a book or a resource that has helped you either with VinoVest or with just sort of career and business in general? Yeah. So I um, recently read a book called Leaping Backwards, um, and it's a story of a bunch of early Amazon executives and just their you know, how they really grew Amazon out from, you know, more so a third party perspective, working with Jeff, and things like that. So um, I really enjoyed the book. And a lot of the early lessons around building culture and process are applicable for companies of all sizes. Got it. Amazing. Um, where can people find out more about you if they want to follow you on social or get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'm pretty accessible via Twitter. So my handle is Anthony underscore J 
underscore Z-H-A-N-G. So first name, middle initial, last name. And yeah, tweet at me, I'll respond. So Anthony, just thank you for joining us and sort of sharing all your expertise online. I really appreciate it. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Thanks for all the thoughtful questions as well. That was our episode about wine investing. My takeaways were, wine investing has been happening for hundreds of years. Now it's accessible to anyone with $1,000 to invest. The wine landscape isn't hugely different than 20 years ago, but the ways to invest in it are. And finally, do your research, but there are good reasons to include wine as part of your portfolio. In our patron-only episode, we discuss how NFTs, non-fungible tokens, also known as cryptocurrency, might be incorporated into the wine market. To access that, go to patreon.com artisticfinance. Now, why did I include wine in our 6K investment? Well, it isn't the stock market, so it's going to act as a hedge against market volatility. And it isn't cryptocurrency, which is even more volatile than the stock market. And wine is a tangible asset. The value of both cryptocurrency and wine could go to zero, but if it does, we still have 12 bottles of wine to drink. Why not gold or silver? Two reasons. One, they are volatile, so they could appreciate greatly, but they could also depreciate rapidly. And two, buying, storing, insuring, and selling precious metals comes with fees around 6%. So for $1,000 of gold, we would pay $60 in fees, whereas at VinoVest, we'll be paying less than 30. Now, why did I pick VinoVest over Vinfolio, WineInvestment.com, or purchasing a case on our own? Well, they made it as easy as opening a brokerage account. I didn't have to have an onboarding call. I just logged in, created an account, answered my risk personality questions and time horizons, linked my bank account, and VinoVest automatically handled everything else. I don't actually need to know anything about wine. And their fees are transparent. I took the time to set up a call and clarify the fees, but what was posted on their website was actually the fees. And while they recommend investing $5,000 so you can have some portfolio diversification within your wines, they are also perfectly fine with you only investing $1,000. One thing we didn't make abundantly clear in the interview is that the annual fee is 2.85%. If you invest $50,000 or more, that fee drops to 2.5%. And also at that point, you can actually pick which specific wines you want to invest in instead of being at the whim of VinoVest's algorithm. Now a note on alternative investments. Alternative investments being anything that isn't the stock market. It is extra work to get into them, but for that extra work you gain more options. So comparing wine to other things, a mutual fund or ETF, you have no say on how it's managed. Bonds and cash are the same thing, but they're low return and they're not going to keep up with inflation. Real estate is a lot of work and it's extremely illiquid. It's much harder to sell a house than it is to sell a case of wine. Gold and crypto, as I said before, are extremely volatile, as are NFTs. Now, buying art through a company like Masterworks, where you buy part of a Picasso or a Warhol, those are extremely subjective on the sale price. And a $1,000 investment doesn't get you the art. It just gets you a tiny share of it, which results in you having no say on how it's managed. Investing in a Broadway musical, while the upside can be massive, 9 out of 10 don't return their money, plus the minimum is usually $25,000, 
and you can't get insurance on that investment like you can with wine. So wine is a bit more work than stocks or bonds. It has higher fees than ETFs, but it's stable and it is tangible. Now an update of our $1,000 investment in wine. $883 purchased a case on April 15th. Three weeks later, we've been charged $1.26, which is one half month of the management fees. When they charge the fee for only the part of the month that we owned the wine, that is called prorating. Just as if you were to move into a new apartment halfway through the month and only get charged for that half of the month, that would be prorated rent. Our wine has appreciated $8.39, which makes the current account value $1,007.13, which is a total rate of return of 0.06%. By comparison, a share of the S&P 500 on April 15th was $417.42. Today it's at $416.88. On that $1,000, we've lost $1.33 for a return of negative 0.01%. Now, three weeks is too short of a time horizon to actually tell anything. But even so, I would have expected the market to be up. But again, today or even in an hour, it could be different, whereas the wine will remain steady. That's it for today. I hope you learned something new about investing, and I'm looking forward to doing deep dives into the rest of our asset classes. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.